0: Uh, We've been talking through this series on the wilderness, and we're going to wrap up that series today, talking about how the wilderness is a a time and leads to a time of new beginnings. So, hopefully, you've turned to Mark chapter one and have your finger in John chapter twenty as we're talking and wrapping up the wilderness. And just for those of you that may not know, may not have been here for this series, the wilderness kind of is—we've defined it as those times of. Of loneliness, We've defined it as those times of struggle, those times of, you know, maybe darkness or confusion or lostness, and, and those wilderness times, and no doubt, um, all of us have experienced a wilderness of some type, of some form, at some point in our lives, and what we have pointed to throughout this whole series is Jesus' time in the wilderness. If you look at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then we see in verse 12, the Spirit immediately after his baptism drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And today, I want us to focus on the beginning of Jesus's ministry here. I want us to focus on the beginning of Jesus's ministry here. I'm, I'm going to do something. I feel like with the, the size of this service, I'm going to come down here. Is that all right, Brandon? Okay, cool. We're, we're going to get a little personal, right? <laughs> There's plenty of room to move about the cabin this morning. We're just going to get a little close and personal. It felt weird being up there with me already being up. Anyway, so this morning I want us to focus on the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this, this new beginning, right? And the fact that he comes out of the wilderness carrying what? The gospel, he he's proclaiming the gospel it says it says he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and i think the the, the biggest thing we need to do here from the start today is define this thing the gospel and a few years ago probably probably 10 15 years ago the gospel kind of became this this, this word that a lot of people were throwing around, a lot of people were trying to define, a lot of people were trying to get to the bottom of it. There was a surge of books written about the gospel. There was one in particular I read about 10 years ago just that was titled The Gospel. And many people were trying to kind of get to the bottom of this thing and figure out what is the gospel? And so for us today, I think it's important that we define it before we go forward, because what was this new beginning? What was this thing that Jesus was proclaiming that he was preaching? And very simply, at the core of what the gospel is, it's defined as the good news. What good news? The good news of Jesus. And so the gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus. And so let's take that to a 40,000 foot view with all this, see all the plane references, all this room in the cabin, we're going to take it up to 40,000 feet, right? Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, we see that he stepped out of heaven, right, Be- made himself nothing, right, stepped out of heaven, came to earth, humbled himself, and then he humbled himself again, becoming a servant, right? And so for 33 and a half years, Jesus walked this earth, living, ministering, and, and, at, and at about age 30, we see him baptized and go into the wilderness, And then after his wilderness, he began his ministry for three and a half years, preaching, teaching, healing, discipling, doing all the things that he did for three and a half years. And then he was crucified. He died a sinner's death. We talked about that. Ian talked about that Friday night. He was buried, right? And three days later, he rose again to walk around for about 40 days and and minister. It's reported that he met with, spoke to about 140 people in that 40 days from the time that he rose from the dead until Acts chapter 1, when he ascended into heaven. And so in Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven. And he says there, he says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said, and he says in John chapter 15, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that story of the person and work of Jesus that now he's ascended into heaven, he is preparing a place for us until one day he's going to come back and bring the church to him where he is. That's the gospel. The person and work of Jesus. In summary, That's the good news of who Jesus is, that there's life, that there's life, that there's hope because of the cross, because of the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But we could end right there, right? And some of you just got really excited. We could end right there because that is the message. That's the gospel message. That's enough. Jesus. But what I want to focus on this morning is what is what impact does the gospel have on our lives? What impact does the gospel have on your life? If we let the gospel infiltrate our lives, what is the gospel capable of in our lives? And and to to answer that, I want us to look at John chapter 20. We're gonna start in verse 19. We're gonna read this story, we're gonna come back and kind of take it bit by bit, because there's three things I want to point out to you this morning about the gospel. "...receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other's disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, there's three things here, as I mentioned, that I believe the gospel does. There's three impacts that the gospel has from this passage that we see in the impact on the disciples, and the first is this, that the gospel brings us from fear to courage, From fear to courage, we all battle fear of some sort, right? We all battle fear of some sort, and I think one of the biggest fears that we battle is the unknown, the unknown. The unknown about tomorrow. The unknown about you know this or that. The unknown about how this is going to turn out. The unknown about how that's going to turn out. But Jesus brought these disciples from a place of fear to a place of courage. Because think about it. It says right here in the passage that they were behind locked doors. They were behind closed doors. They were fearful. They were scared. And you think about, well, why, why would they have been scared? The person that they were following for three years had just been crucified, buried, and now was missing. He wasn't there, right? They went to the tomb that morning and he wasn't there. Who do you think the Jews would go to first to try to get answers as to where the body was? The disciples, right? And so they were, they were in fear, as the Scripture says, of the Jews. They were behind closed doors. And what did Jesus do? He came to them. Right, He came to them to give them courage. We don't know where these guys were. We don't know what room they were in. But He came to them and He reassured them. And I want you to see the first word that He says to them. Peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He could have rebuked them for their unfaithfulness. Right after Jesus was crucified, they went back to their nets. They went back to what they were doing before they met them. They went back to what they were doing before Jesus called them to follow him. He could have rebuked them. He could have done anything, but he didn't. And the message of that is that the work of the cross is peace. I love the quote that says this, Peace isn't the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus appeared to them in this room, his presence was peace. Now, let's have a little fun with this when I picture this the disciples in this room in this locked room again we don't know where this room would have been we don't know what at what place in in Jerusalem that they that that they would, would have been behind these closed doors but the doors were locked and then Jesus appears I picture it being like that 1980s movie Ghost Patrick Swayze right He's on one side of the door, and then all of a sudden he's in the room, right? And, just, and, and, and we don't know how, but he just kind of appears in that room with his disciples. Some of you are like, that's really sacrilegious to talk about Patrick Swayze and Ghost on Easter. That's all right, deal with it. Anyway, um, but, but, but you know, he wasn't there, and then he appears to them, right? He comes to them, and he brings his peace with them, right? And he, and he doesn't do it just once, He does it twice. Eight days later, when Thomas is with them, he appears to them again. And he didn't just come to them, but he reassured them. He showed them his wounded hands. He, He showed them his side. He gave them an opportunity to discover that it was him. And the basis for all peace is found in the work of Jesus. He commissioned them. Look at verse 21. He says there, he says, peace be with you as the father has sent me even so i am sending you and what he's what he's doing here is he's he's passing the torch so to speak he's saying listen as father sent me as father sent me to minister so i am sending you to minister he commissioned them but then he didn't just do that he equipped them he didn't just commission them he equipped them he said receive the holy spirit if you forgive the sins of any they're forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any It is withheld. Which reminds me of the quote that God doesn't call the equipped, but He equips the called. Receive the Holy Spirit. You can't do this alone. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. Receive the Holy Spirit. So He didn't just call them. He didn't just commission them. He equipped them. And so He took them from this fear, from this fear of the unknown, to this courage, to this confidence. I I had a lot of experience with the fear of the unknown over the last week. Some of you know, some of you don't. Uh, We we were on vacation um, this past week, and we we did the Disney thing, right? We did the Disney thing, and we got to ride a bunch of rides and all of that. And, and, you know, what's fun about some of those rides, if it's your thing, right, is, is partly the unknown, right? Somebody asked me between one of the services today, they were like, how is it that you're scared of spiders, mice, and heights, but yet you love roller coasters? None of your business. Anyway, um, but, but but I do, and I, and I enjoy these rides, and, and on one day, we got, to, um, we got to ride two of kind of more intense rides back to back we got to do the rock and roller coaster right that, that that roller coaster and it's and it's fun because it doesn't like you know do that little slow ascent and then go down you just come to a complete stop and then you boom like you take off and you go from like 0 to 65 and it real quick and it's it's awesome. It's awesome, right? And so Kristen and I, we took two of our uh, daughters on, on, on that ride, and one of them, one of them loves that thing, right? They, they they love the 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 suspense and they love kind of the unknown and all of that and the 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 thrill of it all, right? The other one doesn't. And that one in particular was riding riding right behind me, and she cried through the entire ride. I mean, she, she just cried, kind of like Pastor Ian. She just cried through that whole, through that whole ride. And, 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 you know, she, she made it to the end. And, and, and I told her, you know, didn't you love that? And she wouldn't speak to me. And she actually slapped me when we got off that ride. But anyway, could you believe that? Anyway, um, and so then we went from that ride uh, to, to a little bit of a calmer ride, the Tower of Terror. And, and, you know, the Tower of Terror, it's, it takes place in this hotel, right? And it was awesome because we had to wait for this one quite a while. And I had Bria convinced at one point that, that it was an actual hotel and people were staying in there. And this, and this lady played along at, at, the, at the front. I was like, where are the restrooms in the lobby? And she's like, they're, they're, they're closed or whatever. And I was like, that's great. She's playing along. And Bria had no idea. All she could see was this big tower and all she could hear were people screaming at the top of their lungs what nothing nothing could get better right and and so you know she goes on this ride and she experiences it and we get off and I you know let a little little time go by and as we're coming home from disney i was having the conversation with all you know the whole family you know what was your favorite ride what was your least favorite ride and if you ask bria now her second favorite ride was the tower of terror she loved it i mean loved it right As much as you can love a Tower of Terror. Anyway, her least favorite ride, however, is that roller coaster that she went on the first time and and cried all the way through. But the unknown, right? The unknown. And with things like that, the unknown is okay, right? The unknown is okay. The only way, well, anyway, the unknown is okay. But in other situations... When we're thinking about job situations, when we're thinking about financial situations, relationship situations, when we're thinking about kids and, 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 and all the, 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 the panic at times that kids bring, the unknown can be pretty scary. And yet Jesus, appearing to these disciples, said, "Peace, be with you. I'm here. I got you. I've got you." I've got you. We mention it, I think, every Christmas around here, but the Bible says 365 times do not fear. One for every day of the year. Jesus brings us from fear to courage by appearing, by showing up, by coming to us, by commissioning them, by equipping us, right? When we have a task to do, when we have something in front of us that we need to overcome... It's hard to think about the fear in that moment. But just the courage to overcome. So maybe you're sitting here this morning. Maybe you're battling fear. Maybe Jesus, maybe the prayer that we need to pray is, Jesus, will you come make yourself real to me and bring your peace? Give me the courage to face this tower or this mountain or this wilderness in front of me. Secondly, We keep reading. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. I've always wondered, where was Thomas? Where was Thomas in that first meeting? Why was Thomas not in the room. Why wasn't he with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them the first time? We, we don't know that. Um, but we see in verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. They went and found Thomas and said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the side, of, into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Chances are you know a Thomas, don't you? I mean, we we know that person, right? That just I I've I've got to see. You know, I need I need God. Maybe you've been this way before. Maybe I've been this way before, right? I need a, I need to know that this is God. I need to know before I make this decision that God is in this thing, right? I think Thomas gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas. I think many of us have a lot of these conversations with God. God, if you want me to do this, I need you to make yourself real to me. I need to see you. I need to feel you. I need to touch touch from you here if this is really you. And look at the response. Look at what Jesus does. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus pulled a ghost moment, Patrick Swayze moment, and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The second thing that Jesus does here is he takes them from unbelief to confidence. See, this belief thing was a big deal in John's gospel. In John's gospel here, he talks about believing a hundred times, one hundred times in his gospel, in his message to in, in the scriptures, twenty-one chapters, and he talks about believing a hundred times. One of the most famous ones is probably John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John was big on this thing called belief, and Jesus wanted to inspire right confidence into his disciples. He wanted to take them from unbelief to confidence. I want you to notice something about this doubting Thomas, though. Jesus didn't rebuke him for his doubts. We talked about doubting in the wilderness a couple weeks ago. I believe, help my unbelief, right? The father with his son, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. But Jesus didn't rebuke Thomas for his doubts. He didn't rebuke him for his doubts. I, I don't think doubting is necessarily a bad thing. It's what we do with our doubts. He rebuked him for his unbelief. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. The words translate in the Greek literally here, stop becoming faithless, but become a believer. Can you hear Jesus saying that? Can you hear Jesus saying that right in front of the disciples' face? Listen, I'm here. Stop being faithless. Believe. Believe. Think about the last three years that we've walked through together. Think about all the things we've seen Father do in and through me, in and through you, in and through us. Stop disbelieving. Believe. I love that picture of Jesus in that room having this conversation with His his disciples and with Thomas. Stop becoming faithless, but believe. See, Jesus saw a dangerous process at work in the heart of Thomas. He saw a dangerous process at work in the heart of Thomas. And He wanted to put a stop to it. Jesus wanted Thomas to trust Him. See, Thomas reminds me this morning that unbelief robs us of blessings and opportunities. Unbelief robs us of blessings and opportunities. A lack of faith robs us from blessings and opportunities. We need to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, everybody lives by faith. We need to remind ourselves that at the end of the day, everybody lives by faith. It's just the object of faith. See, I think we could boil it down to one or, one or two objects of faith. At the end of the day, everybody lives by. We either live by faith in ourselves or faith in God. Faith in ourselves that, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can accomplish this. I can provide this. I can be this. I can do that, right? Or, God, or God's got this. See, at the end of the day, we all live by faith. It's just the object of our faith that's in question. And that's what I believe Thomas was coming to grips with here in this room. From unbelief to confidence. And look, look at what he says. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That's all he had to say. Right? After he had touched the hands, after he'd put his hand in the side of Jesus, he looks at Jesus and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus is like, Now you believe. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. But we see the transformation in Thomas from unbelief to confidence. My Lord, my Savior, my God. And then number three, number three, we see a transformation that the gospel brings us from death to life, from death to life. Two of my favorite scriptures, two of my favorite verses in scripture, verses 30 and 31, they go like this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I mean, I'd love to know some of those other signs, Bob. I'd love to know some of those other wonders. I'd love to know what those other things were that John was thinking about when he penned that verse. Many other signs and wonders were written, were done that were not written in this book. What were they? Like, like tell me about the campfire conversations that Jesus and the disciples had like, tell me, tell me some of those moments, man. Tell me, I would love to know those things. But those aren't, and he says there are many other signs and wonders or, were done that were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe, there's that word again, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. In his name. Now I get pretty excited about this because you know what that doesn't tell me? That doesn't tell me that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is a drag. That doesn't that doesn't tell me that, that that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is boring, stuffy. I mean, I mean, John literally says there that by believing you may have life in his name. And I think of life as exciting. I think of life as as thrilling and, and passionate and, and, and fruitful. Like I, like I think of life as anything but boring and sluggish. And John writes here that by believing you may have life in His name, John's pleading with us. John's pleading with whoever's going to read this that, that by believing in Jesus, you can have life. And by not... There's death. Paul knew about new beginnings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he writes this. Paul wrote, so if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. I mean, Paul knew about new beginnings. He said, listen, listen, listen. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Old has passed away. Everything has become new, and this is from God. Get this who reconciled us to himself through Christ, the gospel. That whole gospel message, that's what Paul's referencing here. That God reconciled us to himself through Christ, the hope of the cross, the message of the gospel that, that Jesus was proclaiming after his wilderness. Paul is now proclaiming to the church at Corinth, which was a pretty messed up group of people. If you ever read about the church of Corinth or ever, ever want to see like a, 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 a soap opera or something like that, read the book of First and Second Corinthians. These people were messed up, and yet Paul's proclaiming the same gospel that Jesus proclaimed all throughout his ministry, all throughout his life, to the church at Corinth, saying the old has passed away, the new has come, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, through the gospel, and has given us, now get this, has given us the ministry of reconciliation, It doesn't stop at the tomb it doesn't stop at the ascension it doesn't stop at the he is risen we are still ambassadors for christ and messengers of this hope of this gospel to the world today i don't know about you but that's the beauty and the excitement of easter i don't necessarily like tucking my shirt in and doing the whole wrappings of, 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 of Easter and all, and all that stuff. I, I was challenged this morning at a beautiful sunrise service. Well, it wasn't beautiful outside, but the, but the inside was beautiful. The, the service was beautiful. When the guy that was leading music, his name is Roger, he said, you know, he said the temptation of, in a day like this is to get wrapped up in all the festivities that we miss the point. You know what the point of Easter is? That we have a responsibility with the message of reconciliation, Jesus, the gospel, to keep carrying it out. That he's risen. And guess what? He's going to be risen tomorrow as much as he is today. So as we celebrate it today, we've got to celebrate it as much and share it as much tomorrow. Man, third service. I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. Whew he's given us the message of ministry the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself you know what that means God wants you God's crazy about you he he reconciling the world to himself you know what that means God wants you God wants relationship with you God wants daily interaction with you me yeah you Not counting their trespasses against them. He's not going to hold your past against you. He's not going to hold yesterday against you. Not holding their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. I'm not sure we understand the weight of that. From death to life, God has entrusted the message of reconciliation to the church. There's a story that I I love to tell. Some of you may have heard it before. Have you ever seen that show, Duck Dynasty? Yeah. Yeah. The brothers from, from Duck Dynasty, the big beards, all that, the southern accents. The youngest brother, he was the favorite. I know that because I'm the youngest of three and I'm the favorite. It's hard, but somebody's got to do it. Um, he, he, fell into, he fell into a little bit of trouble. He fell into his own wilderness, struggles, and, and different, different things that he experienced. And it went on, as the, as the story goes, uh, um, for, for a year or two. And one night, his brothers and his dad, they kind of gotten fed up with it. So they said, you know what? Enough is enough. Let's go get Jep. Let's bring him here. Let's have a family meeting. So They go to the movie theater and they, they, they grab their brother jet Jep, why do I call him jet? They grab their brother Jep and they, they put him in the truck and they drive over to their parents' house and say we're, we're going to have a family meeting and they talk and and basically, as the story goes, they end with a, a lot of tears and praying together and Jep is recommitting his life to Jesus and rededicating himself to the family and says I've got to get out of that lifestyle can I live with you so he moves home as a as a, as a grown adult and, and 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 wants to get his life straight and all of that and you know it's it's, it's an incredible family meeting a great story and and all of that and and a few m- minutes go by and people are starting to kind of move on and Jep pauses and he looks at his dad in the eye I said, Dad, I knew this was coming, but why did you wait so long? Dad, I knew this was coming, but what took you so long? And today, I don't ever want to be accused of waiting too long, because I know, I know, When you decided this past week, or last night, or this morning to come to Summit Church, you knew what was coming. You knew the message, probably. He's risen. See, never gets old. You knew. The message doesn't change. What we do with the message makes all the difference. And today, as we we close this thing down, I want to invite you. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you don't, I want to invite you to know Him. Now here's the thing that we don't do a great job of. What does that life look like? When you get home, chances are there's not going to be a check in your mailbox. Chances are somebody's probably not going to give you a car tomorrow. They might. If they do, I need friends like yours. I think a lot of times we make this life that John promises out to be like rainbows and unicorns. You know what Jesus promises for those who believe in him and trust in him? Suffering. <laughs> Sign me up. Right? He's like, after you've suffered a little while, then I'll come and I'll relieve. Right? And, 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 and we don't like to make much of that because, because, because we don't know what the end is going to be. But all we know at the end is that it's paradise. It's heaven. It's life everlasting. I mean, Jesus, as we talked about earlier, He's going to prepare a place for us. I don't think that that's going to be Bland. I think it's going to be paradise. And Jesus promises. He says, he, he says through uh, John, under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. You may have life in His name name. And so for you today, the new beginning might be purpose. Might be life. For those of you that believe in Jesus, I would ask you what is the, 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 the area of your heart where, where Jesus is knocking on the door? Fear? Unbelief? Doubt? Struggle? And may you find the courage, may you find the confidence that Jesus gave the disciples. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what, I've never had a relationship with Jesus, I'm just here for them, the people next to me. I give them two Sundays a year, Christmas and Easter. Today I want to invite you to something that will change your life. That will give you purpose. This whole letter that is written is a love letter to you. That you may believe and have life in His name. The good news of our faith is that the wilderness never has the last word. Will you pray with me?